0: It's a good Wednesday morning to everyone out there. Today, today, today is the day the Lord has made. I am up extremely early. Uh, it's getting lighter here in Pennsylvania. And, uh, and when it's light, I tend to get up, which is uh, the way our our ancestors did. They didn't have their iPhone ringing to get them out of bed. Uh, they used light and the rooster probably. The rooster crowing. There's a rooster in this neighborhood. We have some Latino folks, Latinex, Latina, Latino. And uh they have a rooster about. The thing doesn't just crow in the morning though. Crows I haven't heard heard them recently. Maybe they maybe they uh maybe they were reported because you're not supposed to have roosters here in in suburbia. Um a lot of chickens. And there was a chicken walking around a while back, last year sometime. I had a six-pack in my hand. I was walking to my car and a chicken just goes walking by. I was like, excuse me. My name is not Old McDonald here. Oh, So today we're going to get into Soren and C.S. Now they're on a the first-name basis. I don't have to say C.S. Lois. Uh, Soren and C.S. on Joy. I have promised... Well, promise is too strong a word. I've endeavored to make this podcast 21 minutes. So sometimes I will conclude rather abruptly. Uh, Seven is the number of perfection in the Bible, and if you have 21 minutes, that's 777. That's the Trinity. Uh, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, all perfect and complete. But seven's a number that repeats a lot in the Bible. And what is the number for man, you might ask, in the Bible? it's six, which is incompletion or imperfection. Uh, We are created a created being, not a creator. So we'll always be finite even when we're redeemed. Uh, That was a condition before the fall. Man did not know everything, but the fall certainly has made the situation even more complicated. It's not just not knowing. Now we know evil. We know things we're not supposed to know. Uh, So there we go. I did uh, do a do a blog on the Buffalo assassination. It's not a shooting. It's an assassination. The dude accomplished his goal. He killed people. Uh, so that's the uh blog spot. You can look it up if you want. I might post it here in the show notes. Uh, I was going to talk more about Buffalo today, but I figured that's too heavy for this podcast. I want to keep both serious and silly here. Uh, but the uh, the blog seemed to be a good place to get some of my thoughts on 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 the screen figuratively on paper, so you can go check that out if you'd like. Um thinking about, um, think about the gospel, and Jesus and his uh, Last Supper institutes what's called the Lord's Supper, which is the body and the bread. And he's basically saying, hey, I'm about to be slaughtered, and do this in remembrance of me. And if Jesus was not raised uh, from the dead, and you know, he was just slaughtered and put in his grave and was rotting away, and his long gone and his bones have turned to dust Uh, it would be rather sick to say hey I'm about to be slaughtered and hey so you don't forget about it Uh, take my body this bread and take this wine my blood and and imbibe of it in remembrance of me now I'm not Catholic I don't believe it turns into the actual body and bread of uh, body and uh, the bread of uh, it turns into the body or the blood turn the wine turns into blood. That's not my thing. I'm not into transubstantiation. But I believe there's tremendous tremendous symbolic and representative power in taking communion. Uh but that's the heart of the gospel, you know, so any any time that we talk about suffering, we have to look at Jesus first. He's saying, I'm about to be slaughtered for you Uh, let's not candy coat it. He died a very brutal death. Crucifixion has got to be one of the worst ways to go. I don't know. I don't want to think about it too much, but it's got to be one of the worst ways to go. So that's central to the the gospel message is suffering, Uh, but somehow in that suffering uh, there is joy. Joy comes and joy is with us, uh, but joy is also the destination. Hebrews says that for the joy that was set before him Jesus endured the cross and sometimes all we can do is endure. Uh, we, there are times in life which Hit us hard and we had to hold on man. Don't give up. It gets better. Usually Might not be tomorrow though. Today. I'm drinking a Kananaloa blend coffee. This was at the surplus surplus uh, grocery store uh, the company's from uh, Originally, well the company's from Florida, but they get their beans from a, a plantation in Hawaii And it has a beautiful picture on the um, on the packaging of a a mountain volcano, mountain volcano in Hawaii, uh, sun rising or setting upon some coffee fields. So I don't know if all these beans are Hawaiian or not. It says a blend. It could be a a blend of other other regions from the coffee belt. I learned something. I already kind of knew this, but this is the actual term of the coffee belt in terms of how it's delineated: it's from the Tropic of Capricorn to the Tropic of Cancer. In that belt, that's where coffee grows in the world naturally. Anyway, so today we're getting at C.S. Lewis. I kind of cut short a little bit on C.S. Lewis previously, so I'm going to read the entire uh, section of this uh, of this uh, prayers uh, letters to Malcolm, uh, where C.S. Lewis talks about. Joy. Joy is the serious business of heaven. I read part of this previously, but I'm going to read the whole thing. I came to realize in retrospect that I hadn't read the whole thing um, on the first episode of this particular topic, so I'm going to read the whole thing. So this is uh, C.S. Lewis writing to a fictional friend. He made this guy up called Malcolm, and he's writing about prayer. And this is letters to Malcolm, so he's pretending like he's writing a letter to a friend named Malcolm. Now, C.S. Lewis was a prodigious letter writer. Uh, He, I think, made an attempt to write back to everybody that wrote to him, uh, paper-wise. I do not think that the life of heaven bears any analogy to play or dance in respect of frivolity. I do think that while we are in this valley of tears, cursed with labor, hemmed round with necessities, tripped up with frustrations... Doomed to perpetual plannings, puzzlings, and anxieties, certain qualities that must belong to the celestial condition have no chance to get through, can project no image of themselves except for in activities, for us here and now are frivolous. For surely we must suppose the life of the blessed to be an end in itself, indeed the end, to be utterly spontaneous, to... Be the complete reconciliation of boundless freedom with order, with the most delicately adjusted, supple, intricate, and beautiful order. How can you find any image of this in the serious activities, either of our natural or of our present spiritual life, either And I say either rather than either. I don't know where I got that from. I can't break it. Either in our precarious and heartbroken affections or in the way which is always in some degree a via crucis, which we talked about before, which is the way of suffering. Our broken affections. That's a big problem. No, Malcolm, it is only in our hours off, only in moments of permitted festivity, that we find an analogy. Dance and game are frivolous, unimportant down here, for down here is not their natural place. Here they are a moment's rest from the life that we are placed here to live. But in this world, everything is upside down. That which, if it could be prolonged here, would be a truancy, is likest that which, in a better country, is the end of all ends. Joy is the serious business of heaven. Sirius so yes, Lewis, as most of you are aware, if not all, uh, was a Irish-born, British-educated uh, professor at Cambridge. I think he tried to become a professor at Oxford. I don't think that worked. Uh, being Irish, he was probably not considered quite the uh, aristocracy in uh, British society or English society. He fought in World War I for the allies against Germany and assorted other opponents. And it was a brutal war. No war is great, but the World War I was particularly horrific with the uh, implementation of new ways to kill people, machine guns and more advanced mortars and poison gas, the trench warfare where it just it was a war of attrition. Uh interestingly J R. R Tolkien also was a veteran of World War 1 and both these uh individuals were profoundly affected by the brutality of that war and they came out believing in beauty but it was a battle-tested belief in beauty they were no uh armchair soldiers they were there in the mud and the muck and the blood and had friends killed and they came out believing in beauty uh C S Lewis wasn't a Christian until later J.R. Tolkien was a Catholic, but they both had an enhanced sense of beauty. And a lot of times people that go through tragedy, despite all that experience and that horrific uh, heartache, do have a um, an appreciation for beauty that most people wouldn't have. We're going to get into what uh, what, um, what, uh, what Soren says about joy here. So C.S. Lewis just says the whole world is upside down. Things that we tend to treat her frivolous or actually the business of heaven. I've always wondered what heaven's like. I don't know. I've never been there. I haven't had that experience of going to the third heaven like the Apostle Paul did and came back to life. So what what Soren says. The lily and the bird, of course, they can have joy. They who do not even have a tomorrow by which to be plagued. But a human being who, of course, not only has worries about tomorrow, about what he is to eat, but also about yesterday, about what he has eaten and not paid for. I thought that was a great uh, point. Soren says we stress about things in our past because uh, let's think about this financially for a sec. Uh, we have consumed things and purchased things that we have not entirely paid for yet, so it causes a sense of stress. No, no, what it says in that impudute, oh, I can't have impudently. I'll say impudent. Lee disturbs the instruction, but learn at least begin to learn from the lily and the bird, for of course no one can be can seriously believe that what the lily and bird rejoice over, and similar things are nothing to rejoice over. I need some oxygen, I need some coffee. It's a dual to dual acquisition. Thus, that you came into existence, that you exist, that today you receive the necessities of existence, that you came into existence, that you became a human being, that you can see, consider this, that you can see, that you can hear, that you can have a sense of smell, that you have a sense of taste, that you can feel, and the sun shines for you and for your sake, that when it becomes weary, the moon begins to shine, the stars are lit, that it becomes winter, that all nature disguises itself, pretends to be a stranger, and does so in order to delight you, and spring comes, that birds come in large flocks, and do so in order to bring you joy, that green plants spring forth, and that the forest grows into beauty, has its uh, nuptials, and does so in order to bring you joy, that autumn comes, that the birds fly away, not to make themselves precious and hard to get, Oh oh no, but so that you will not become bored with them that the force puts away its finery for the sake of the next time, that is, so it can give you the joy or joy next so it can give you joy the next time. Is this supposed to be nothing to rejoice over? Oh, if I dare to scold But out of respect uh, for the lily and the bird, I dare not. And therefore, instead of saying that there's nothing to rejoice over, I will say, if this is nothing to rejoice over, then there's nothing over which to rejoice. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Uh, Soren uh, has a quote somewhere else that he preferred autumn to spring because spring caused one to look down, but autumn caused one to look up. I don't know where that came from, but that just uh, struck me, struck a chord inside of me. But his, his his description of nature and what nature is communicating to us, and how God speaks in nature, if that doesn't move you, you need to you need to recalibrate. So it's so it's so uh so nice, so nice. It is not the lack of ability. Furthermore, the material is so easy that there can be no question of the lack of ability to have joy. It must be something else, though perhaps only an indisposition which one must not be overhasty in judging too strictly treating it as unwillingness or indeed as rebelliousness lust lust thus lust the lily thus the lily and the bird are teachers of joy and yet the lily and the bird of course also have cares of sorrows as all of nature has sorrows does not all creation sigh under the perishability to which it has been subjected against its will it is all subjected to perishability. A star, however firmly it is fixed in the heavens, indeed the one most firmly fixed shall nevertheless change its place in the fall, and the one that never changed its position shall nevertheless one day change its position when it plunges into the abyss. Yeah, you know, the Bible teaches the world will end. All creation will end, and then it'll come a new creation, a new heaven and earth, and the whole, uh, the whole of this world with everything in it that is in it shall be changed as one changes a garment when it is discarded. Oh, the prey of perishability, and even as it escapes the fate of, of being immediately cast into the oven, the lily must nevertheless wither after having already suffered one thing and another, and even if it were permitted to die of old age, at some point the bird must nevertheless die, separated from its beloved, after having already suffered the one thing and another, one thing and another. Oh, it is perishability, and everything will at some point become what it is, the prey of perishability. Perishability, perishability, that is the sigh. for to be subjected to perishability is to be what a sigh signifies. Confinement, incarceration, in prison, and the content of the sigh is perishability, perishability. Yeah, um, Soren is, is pointing out, and we've talked about this previously, that The reason why the Bible and Jesus and the teachers of the Bible and proponents of the gospel tell us not to set our heart on things in this world like material possessions is because they perish, they pass away. So it's a bad investment. Now, materials say, well, this is all we have. This is all I can invest in. I admit it's a bad investment, but it's better than nothing. Whoever dies with the most toys wins, still dies, right? That's the Christian response. So a lot of materialists don't believe in an afterlife. They don't believe in the spiritual world. They believe everything can be explained empirically, which is a bit dubious because man's history with the supernatural is very well established. It would be rather odd to be so empirical as not to admit that man has a supernatural side where he believes things that... Are not immediately felt, touched, sensed, smelled, all those things. So the evidence is very, very preponderant uh, that there is something else. Now, what that something else is is hard to test, but the evidence would point in the direction that there is a reality underneath this reality because all world civilizations, most of them at least, uh, except in the 20th century perhaps, uh, believe that there's the spirit world. Uh, But the Christian would counsel not to put your heart to... Too much on the things of this world, the passing pleasures, uh, materialism, acquisition, possessions, pleasure, power, these P's are all perishable. Now, if you're a materialist, it makes you even more desperate to have it because maybe that's the only sense of meaning a person can get. So if somebody says, well, pleasure is passing, so I must grab it all and have have it all as much as I can. It can create an opposite reaction, a desperation. Uh, Reminds me of the devil. And Daniel Webster, uh, this guy has sold his soul to the devil for wisdom or something. I forget, maybe material possessions. And he winds up dancing faster and faster and faster until he turns into a moth. That's what the devil does to people. He gets them to chase things until they're exhausted. And then the reward is is not worth the cost, uh, but it's too late to go back and change. Uh, So we're coming up on 21 minutes here. I just thought about an imaginary conversation between uh, Soren and C.S. Lewis. I don't know Soren as well as C.S. Lewis. I've read C.S. Lewis since college. Soren, I don't know what my first encounter with him was. I can't say it was college because I don't remember anything specifically. But I would imagine Soren asking C.S. Lewis, do you love him? Oh, Soren, this would be C.S. Lewis, and replied, You know us Brits have a tad of a hard time speaking of love. Soren would reply, But do you love him? C.S. Lewis would say, I do. Uh, I could see Soren being very, very emphatic about the relationship with Jesus. And do you love Jesus? Do you love God? And C.S. Lewis being a bit caught aback by that, by the directness of the question. I think if we were to turn the tables and put C.S. Lewis... As the uh, as the question asker, I think this is what C.S. Lewis would ask uh, Soren if they were friends <clears throat> or acquaintances. Oh, Soren, do you have to be so serious all the time? I think uh, I think C.S. Lewis did have a sense of joy and levity, <clears throat> and so he would say, "Oh, Soren, do you have to be so serious all, all the time?" And um, and uh, Soren would reply something to the effect, "You didn't know my father." Um, Soren's earthly father was a grim man, a very devout man, but he had done some bad things. There's talk that maybe he had got his servant pregnant, his woman's servant pregnant before they were officially married. His uh, father had also apparently cursed uh, God when he was a young man, a young boy on the uh, out in the shepherd's field. On the Jutland, Uh, he cursed God, and he felt like he was cursed forever because he had done that. Um, Soren's dad was poor, did not become wealthy until he moved to Copenhagen. And apparently, as an 11 or 12-year-old, cursed God for his condition. So Soren would say, you know, I was raised to be serious. That's in my pedigree. Uh, So you didn't know my father. And then C.S. Lewis would would say, oh, yes, I do know our father, which would cause Soren to do a double-take because uh, C.S. Lewis will be talking about God the Father, who takes joy in the lily of the field and the bird of the air. So we're supposed to take joy in, uh, in the things that God takes joy in, uh, even though the world has fallen, even though it's broken, even though our affections are disordered, and the human heart is attracted to things that will ultimately kill it. There is still much beauty in the world. Now, that's not true about everybody. Some people live a living hell. And we have to be careful about putting too many platitudes on things where other people may be whose reality is a lot different than ours. But if somebody's existing in this world in fairly typical circumstances, there's still a lot of things to be thankful for and to have joy in. So we're supposed to look at the lily of the field and the bird of the air See their joy and make the choice to be like them and to sing and to bask in God's glory and the sun. And uh, I think it's a good thing. But I, I think there's a balance. I think there's a balance of mourning. There's a balance between that and suffering. There's, uh, there's a balance between being serious and being silly. And most of life is a balance. Whereas, uh, as Soren would say, much of life is a paradox. And you have to put these two things together and, and allow them to work together kind of in a Hegelian sense to create a new a new reality that seriousness and uh, silliness can coexist and if you really want to be serious, sometimes a bit of silliness goes a long way. Somebody that's going through a hard time who could step back for a second and at least wryly observe their condition can often find a way through it because it doesn't have them trapped. Ultimately, they, they they can laugh about it. Now, there's some things you shouldn't laugh about, of course. So we're at 22 minutes. I'm call it a day. Take a sip of coffee. For my taste of it, it does sound like it... It does taste like... Um, it does taste like it has some Hawaiian beans in it because it has a peculiar macadamia taste, which I've noticed in Kona coffee before. So I don't know what canaloa... Blend means, if they've taken Hawaiian beans, which are typically very expensive, and and mix them with Colombian beans, which tend to be inexpensive. I don't know. I, I tried to find out on the website. It did not tell me, but savor the mystery.